Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Anders Quist. Hey, Anders. Hi, Chen. Um, thanks. It, it's great to, to um, be joining you in this podcast. Yeah, so we've actually, I guess, crossed paths uh, a few times now. Uh, you actually took my uh, workshop a few months ago. You were a great participant, by the way, um, very active on the chat. And also you offered help on the, some of the open source issues that we, I, I guess we highlighted during the workshop. So I guess maybe let's uh, start by uh, you telling us about yourself and uh, what you're doing nowadays. Yeah, uh, well, as you said, my name is Anders, uh, and I've been working as a system developer and architect for, for well over 20 years now. Uh, that's the majority of, of my professional part of my life, I would say, uh, in various roles and various contexts, uh, in everything from a developer and architect and, and chief architect and engineering manager in consultancy firms and product companies in uh, lots of different domains as well. Um, both uh, logistics and payments and accounting. And now uh, I am in the automotive industry. And uh, I'm currently working at a company called Polestar. They produce and sell electric cars. And I'm part of something called the Polestar Dev House. The Dev House is kind of a virtual development department that spans over uh, several companies in a joint effort and uh, works closely with the business to, to both build the Polestar digital presence and also continuously performs digital business development as a joint effort. And I'm part of something called the platform services team. And uh, the short version of what we do, we do a lot of things, but the short version is that we handle the cross-cutting concerns that spans over all the development teams that are part of the dev house and uh, we, we help them uh, both with tools and, and also uh, assist them so that they can focus on, on delivering uh, value uh, for the majority of their time um, and also con continuously revising the architecture that everything is, everything is built on so we can reap uh, potential benefits from, from uh, for instance, updated or, or new services from our cloud providers, amongst many other things. That That's what I'm doing right now and who I am, yeah. Okay, so Postas sounds like a quite interesting company. Certainly the whole uh, electrical cars uh, is uh, going through a big boom right now, I guess uh, in part thanks to what um, Tesla has been doing. Um, so I guess in this case, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how Polestar is using serverless technologies? Uh, I guess that when people think about electric cars, they probably think about uh, uh, Tesla and they think about auto driving and all of that stuff. Uh, where does the sort of serverless technology fits into that puzzle? Yeah, uh, 
I don't see uh, the total extent of, of everything that Polestar does uh, that is uh, software related, uh, so to speak. But uh, the aspect that we are focusing on is, uh, what can we say, from from where you you uh, want to, to actually buy a car and you go to uh, either using the app or, or a web browser and configure what options you want and then you perform a, a payment or place an order uh, and you can follow that and track that order and see your car being built and delivered etc uh, all the way to where you either want to look up something in your manual or or, or things like that uh, and also the business to business parts like handling leasing and and fleets etc so so that that part or aspect of of polestar is, is what is uh on our horizon in in the dev house and all that is uh, more or less all that is realized through serverless frame framework um so the business logic that handles all this and and deploys this is using uh, that technology. Okay, so you talked about the serverless framework, and I guess the uh, you're using that to deploy all of your APIs as well as Lambda functions. Um, can you maybe touch on some of the other services that, that, that maybe you're using? Uh, I guess yep. uh, you, know, you mentioned the e-commerce aspect of the of the Polestar website and the B2B systems are done using service components. So I'm guessing API Gateway, Lambda, DynamoDB, uh, anything else that's in the mix? Uh, yeah, of course. There are actually uh, quite a lot of services, but uh, you touched on the most common ones, of course. Um, and and uh, <laughs> everything from Kinesis to, to Neptune in some cases, and also Elastic is also used for some cases uh, both for for uh, well things like logging aggregations but but also more uh, of the generic search uh, functionality that is enabled for for the end user or or the user so that that's well uh, there are some constraints on what services that we could use uh, because we also have um, the requirement to exist in in uh, China as well. So, uh, what is provided in AWS in China kind of puts a lowest common denominator on the services that are possible to use and would not be uh, too much extra work. Yes, to to get around uh, when it comes to China. So, so that's an interesting and and sometimes challenging aspect of, of this whole uh, venture, so to speak. Right, yeah, I've had some experience with uh, AWS China and that is a notoriously difficult uh, thing. Um, let's, let's circle back to that. Uh, I want to touch on a bit more around your architecture and understand some of the key highlights. Uh, for example, you mentioned the Kinesis, you mentioned a few other things there as well. Um, uh, uh, how many microservices do you have and in terms of the how the teams are organized uh, how do you go about in terms of uh, uh, ownership of those microservices and also how do different microservices communicate with uh, each other yeah that, that's an an interesting question um, well looking at 
the services we 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 have uh, they on a higher level I, I would call these islands and they are mapped to to the development teams and and the what is called a value stream and that that's a business name on on the domain that that they are focusing on delivering uh, and and almost all of them consists of a group of, of lambdas that are fronted uh, often fronted by an API using GraphQL and a static uh, front-end in, in most cases uh, that consumes the GraphQL uh, API that only exists for, for that particular micro or my, my mini service or, or island, if you will. So uh, these, well, it has been quite an accelerated development because I didn't join this from the start, so I wasn't there when, when the initial decisions were made, so I can't really bring any <laughs> insights into that, but uh, I, I can tell you it, it has gone really fast uh, and, uh, and, and the onboarding of, of new developers etc. Has, has been in, in my based on my experience gone extremely well and uh, there are now a kind of a transition between having delivered these value streams and kind of a movement into something more like a product uh, oriented uh, life part of the life cycle so it in terms of how many teams currently exists and and uh, how many value streams that currently exist it's it's um, well kind of a moving target uh, but uh, looking at at what has been produced i would say around about 25 uh, of these microservices mini services has been developed uh, give or take um and uh, well there are uh, to the well, the most common extent, they are kind of uh, autonomous. So uh, we have uh, well uh, a, a common pattern with uh, SQS and SUS that is both used for for a syn a synchronous uh, communication within these uh, uh, micro many services and also between them when there are dependencies uh, of course and also to handle integration cases uh, with with the external systems like a payment service provider etc so um it and uh well just looked up the the, the recent numbers it, it currently consists of over 700 well over 700 lambdas and uh well, 80 SQSs, a bit over that, and uh, 50, 50 plus Dynamo tables, uh, and some SNS and topics uh, uh, going with that. Um, so that that's on a on a higher level what's uh, what's going on behind the scenes, so to speak. Okay, that's really cool, um, and uh, I've guess. Uh, with the GraphQL APIs you're building, are these uh, Lambda functions running something like uh, GraphQL JS or Apollo Server, or are these uh, using AppSync? We've been looking at AppSync, but uh, since this was uh, initiated uh, back in May 
2019. Uh, that was not uh, something that was viable in, in China. So uh, as I mentioned, it put some constraints early on. So uh, the choice was made to go with uh, Apollo Server Lambda and uh, hosting that. Uh, well, kind of a monolith in, in if you want, uh, having that in front of other lambdas as resolvers. Um, and uh, I think it has served, uh, served us well going that path. Uh, but uh, in some aspects, uh, being autonomous is also kind of a challenge when it comes to consolidate all these APIs because they they kind of live in isolation and you would have uh, like like domain uh, aspects being uh, <laughs> handled in, in multiple instances and that could prove to be something that can be challenging to, to uh, consolidate further on. Uh, and uh, while AppSync is, is pretty powerful, I think it can possibly prove hard to migrate to AppSync where we are today. But uh, I have actually been tasked with looking into that and uh, I think it's possible in, in some cases to do it, but in, in others we, we might still be, uh, uh, well, stuck where we are at, but it's not a bad place to be, uh, I, I need to add. <laughs> okay, and in terms of uh, consolidation, have you guys uh, looked into anything like, uh, I guess Apollo has got the Apollo Federation so that you can stitch a schema together from all of your 25 different value stream based uh, GraphQL APIs into one uh, coherent schema. Um, to manage this, I guess, some of the duplicated uh, domain-specific operations that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, uh, Federation, we it was up on the table early on, uh, but uh, we actually did a, a proof of concept with something called uh, uh, GraphQL Mesh, um, and it's kind of a... I, I can provide the link, but it's a kind of a tool that acts or a facade that acts like a proxy in front of multiple GraphQL or, or any kind of API for that matter. But uh, we focused on the GraphQL parts and uh, you can uh, you can make transformations so that the schema can can well, the composite result can, can live together and be exposed as its own API in front of the others. So it's kind of a, well, not a, if, if you think at fed, Federation is uh, two ways, but this is more like a one way uh, Federation. Um, and, and we are now Having that as a as a POC, uh, and um, we will see where it ends up. Um, it's it's early on, but uh, it looks very promising. Okay, that sounds interesting. Uh, I've not heard of uh, GraphQL Mesh before. Uh, I guess uh, I'll definitely check it out, and I'll include a link in the show notes as well. So if anyone else who wants to have a look at how this works and how it differs from uh, Apollo Federation, you guys are free to go and check it out yourself. 
Uh, I want to circle back a little bit about Polestar's decision to go serverless in the first place. Uh, looks like uh, Polestar is quite a big company with lots of different teams. Uh, and in this sort of enterprise environment, and uh, it sounds like you guys adopted serverless and it's gone incredibly well for you in terms of uh, delivery speed. How did Polestar decide to go serverless in the first place? And maybe can you quantify a little bit about uh, you know, how great it's been going for you? Yeah, of course. Um... Well, um, the, I, I, from what I've heard, uh, I, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't part of this when, when the decisions were made initially. But from what I've heard, and, and, and so uh, they wanted something that was state of the art in terms of building, delivering, and running applications. Um, and so they had kind of a kind of a competition, I think, uh, between uh two main actors and uh, they they was very pleased with what they saw in uh, the serverless way of of doing things uh and uh in terms of that i i i think uh, it has been very successful for them of course there have been some bumps along the road uh, they're always or I would say in any development project that I have been in. And that's part of the job, I think. Um, solving the unexpected. Um, but, uh, and, and, and also I think, uh, as I mentioned, uh, scaling this, uh, we reside, we have this development initiative mainly in a, in a town called Gothenburg here in Sweden. It's not a very big town, uh, so uh, you could say that development resources are a bit scarce. Um, so it's pretty impressive to see that you can onboard new developers and uh, they catch on pretty quick and, and become productive very fast. So. Um, that has enabled both the scaling aspect and, and meeting all the really important deadlines to be, to be uh, well, having that being met was, well, it, it's kind of a mind-blowing thing for me because <laughs> usually deadlines aren't, if, if you're working with hard deadlines, it's quite hard to, to, uh, to, to meet those because well, it all goes back to it's hard to to well have a common picture of what is actually going to be developed, and uh, so that that's uh, I guess a totally different discussion. But I think in terms of what Polestar is doing, I, I think that's the future of system development because it's very efficient, it's very lean, going the serverless way. And it goes back to all, well, a bigger question about validating you know, hypothesis, etc. That I believe if you're a bigger company today and, and uh, want to do a major development initiative or, or project, I don't see any other ways. Of course, serverless is not the optimal solution for everything. But uh, if it fits your use case, I don't see a, a real strong argument not to go that way. Um, at least 
at least before you know if it's a valid idea and you need to to prove the hypothesis and 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 all that i think polestar is quite satisfied with where we are at today and what has been done and there is a lot of work left of course to to do yeah i totally agree i mean the amount of uh, work that you can save yourself uh, by going serverless is just a no-brainer for most companies uh, unless you've got really specific needs you've got challenges that right now just doesn't fit very well with the the i guess the event-driven model that server application has but otherwise i do think for most applications out there it should be the default way of doing things unless uh, you've got some other specific requirements uh, in which case uh, you maybe still go back to containers for just those workloads and uh, I'm glad you, you say uh, Gothenburg uh, it's been on my list of um, places uh, to visit for a while now. It's uh, known for uh, seafood and I'm a big seafood uh, fan. <laughs> yeah, let me know and I'll give you some tips if you ever get here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, as soon as the lockdown is finished, it's one of my things, one of the places I'm going to go and visit. <laughs> okay, let's go back to the, the challenges of being with AWS China, um, there are numerous challenges. I've worked with uh, some customers who have to, like uh, like uh, like Postar, have a presence in China and therefore have to use uh, AWS China. And you find problems like some services are just not available, uh, or maybe the even more basic problems like you can't sign up to AWS China unless you have a legal entity in China or you're partnering with another local company, uh, which all Know, business challenges that you have to solve and then there's also the fact that uh, AWS China is not really operated by AWS it's, it's operated by AWS uh, partners uh, and uh, they, they offer uh, I guess API com compatible implementation but that's not really the same as the rest of the AWS services in infrastructure so sometimes you get weird like error behaviors or just how there's some of the scaling behavior, error, error handling behavior is just slightly different. Is that similar to the experience that you've had with AWS China? And uh, how do you guys sort of go about consolidating this uh, very different AWS experience you have uh, in the China and outside of China? Well, yeah, uh, I, I can only agree with all that you have said, uh, but it has gotten better i think um, because when when it all started out um, there were a lot of services missing like for instance certificate uh, manager wasn't there so uh, generating ssl certificates you had to do uh, some other way um, now it's there uh, yeah i haven't tried it out but it seems to be mostly like it works in uh, the rest of the world in AWS. So there, there have been some, some bumps and uh, today I think it, it works pretty well. Um, but uh, historically we, we have had some issues and well, it, it's more like gnawing small pain than big stuff, like not having a single sign-on and having lots of accounts is not perfect, in my opinion. Uh, it, it, it makes it just more of a hassle handling for me uh, and, and everyone that needs to, to work with, with China. 
and uh, and it also adds uh, stuff uh, even if it's quite small things like lambda at edge uh, it, it adds on you need to solve these things some other ways um, and that builds to a kind of inherent complexity that uh, you can either contain in China or, or you can you can have it as a an, an, uh, holistic uh, solution for everything. Um, but uh, what we are having issues with today is, is well, it's not big stuff or, or well, in some aspects it, it's big, but it's uh, like deploying to China. Yes, they have code build, but that's not the CI/CD pipeline that we have chosen. So we are deploying from the outside, and that's not always optimal. Uh, so <laughs> these things uh, can prove well quite a task at times, of course, um, and also um, the whole well user experience thing it's we are all residing most of us we have teams that are sitting inside of china and developing as well for the chinese market but uh, the majority of, of us uh, in, in as part of the the dev house uh, are sitting outside of china and and that's that's not the, the easiest place to be if, if you're talking user experience within China. For instance, uh, uh, how, how, how do we improve the user experience for, for someone uh, well, using 4G in, in China? That, that's hard uh, to accomplish. So that uh, brings us to, to, uh, to, to have other um, layers uh, above the uh, AWS solution and, and I believe that's where uh, the added complexity and, and handling comes in, so to speak. Okay, so that brings up a really interesting business, uh, I guess, related question, uh, because uh, I know, you know being Chinese, I do kind of follow uh, what's happening in China in terms of some of the technology trends. Uh, it's very much a mobile first society. Uh, a lot of people just don't have laptops. They just have their mobile phones. And, uh, you know, you've got platforms like WeChat, which is more of a, like a, like a mini uh, OS on, on its own. Uh, it's yeah. more than just a, a chat application. It's, you, can, you can do everything on that. Um, so I guess do you guys have to build, is this what you were talking about in terms of a different layer is so that you can, I guess, uh, give that uh, integration, get that integration with uh, platforms like WeChat and the focus for, uh, I guess, a mobile first users as opposed to someone who's most likely going to be buying cars and configuring cars on the desktop. Yeah. Yeah, of course, it's, it's about being where, where the user's at, of course. Uh, but but also uh, finding like uh, CDN that that actually operates and is is well established within China is is, is very crucial I believe to to accomplish a, a mobile first user uh, experience that is is worth <laughs> worthwhile. So uh, we. We are currently in, in uh, looking at the alternatives. We, 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 there aren't many CDNs that operates uh, 
both globally and, and inside China. So, yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, and also having GraphQL queries is it's hard to to cache uh, and handle uh, in in that in in a, in a efficient manner. Um, you can uh, cache uh, if it's get queries, but then there are other constraints uh, pertaining to that, of course. So, so it's it's high up on the agenda to to solve these or continuously working with these uh, because it's such such an important task. Uh, since uh, well, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, for us to be able to be in China, we need an illegal entity, and, and Polestar is actually Chinese company owned, Chinese owned company. So that's that's not an issue for us to 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 solve. But uh, on the other hand, it's very important for us uh, how we perform there, how the application feels for the for the real user. Okay, that's uh, actually another interesting uh, point then, because uh, uh, AppSync itself offers caching. is one of the, I guess, one of the advantages of using uh, AppSync is that they give you very flexible uh, caching options. So, are you guys gonna potentially implement something similar in terms of the sort of resolver level caching, and then maybe integrate with something like uh, Memcache the D or uh, through Elastic Cache uh, as part of your sort of caching strategy for your GraphQL APIs? Yeah, I well, we have talked uh, a bit about that, um, and uh, well, I think the AppSync uh, way to go in handling uh, caches is a very nice way to to have it, other than solve, trying to solve it uh, in our own on our own, um, and uh, well, it. it it's something we will have to work out in in when we are trying to to uh, do a proof of concept in in uh, for for AppSync. Uh, it's it's on the roadmap and uh, and uh, also since it has also been one of the services quite recently added in inside China as well, it makes it a potential candidate to to try out. But I'm not that knowledgeable in what might differ in, in inside AppSync from what is provided in China and, and uh, in, in, in terms of what is provided in the rest of the world. So <laughs> uh, maybe you are. <laughs> No, I ha no, I'm not either. I haven't uh, used the uh, AppSync in China. Uh, I think the uh, the service I did use uh, quite a bit before was uh, I think Kinesis uh, in China, and uh, we had a look at the uh, Lambda Edge as well in China, which uh, wasn't available at the time. I don't know if it's, it is now, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, quite a few of the companies I sort of worked with in the uh, before that. Uh, and actually ended up using uh, AWS region in Hong Kong, which is uh, still close enough, but it still falls outside of the AWS China bubble. Um, so it still gives you close enough of in, in terms of uh, geographical location, therefore latency and performance, all of that. But uh, it gives you the same consistent user experience or developer experience when it comes to using AWS. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the few times I had to dip my toe into AWS China, it has always been a, like what you're experiencing now. Okay, how does this service actually differ from uh, what I know from using AWS uh, outside of China? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and well, 
it it, it will uh, be something that we have continuously with us so uh... okay so one last thing i also wanted to ask about is that uh, you talked about how you're using uh, sns and sqs and you've got quite a lot of those uh, as a means to do asynchronous communication between different uh, uh, value streams have you looked at the uh, event bridge because i'm seeing a lot of people moving from using lots of sns topics and sqs queues to having a centralized event bus uh, in the event bridge because of the fact that you can do content-based filtering and they've added better support since the last reinvent for having a centralized uh, event bus in uh, in its own account and then you got you know it better supports this kind of um, uh, cross-account uh, communications through event bridge is that something that you guys are thinking about in the back of your head as well absolutely <clears throat> that's uh, high up also on on the backlog to to look up uh, next we we have had, had discussions uh on on uh, it, it it is uh, obviously the best alternative for us uh, and also it exists now in in china as well so it's it's a viable option um and and we i think it's something that also needs to be done pretty soon because uh, the more uh, we add on in in the current setup with with the well more or less kind of point-to-point -point communication between uh, the various value streams uh, it, it will grow pretty fast it can grow pretty fast uh, that and then it will just make this kind of migration more uh, it will provide more or, or demand more work to 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 perform it so yeah it's 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 absolutely on the table but uh, we haven't really done anything yet uh, and it looks well like the right tool for for what we need absolutely right right and i guess another downside of having lots of point-to-point uh, communication between microservices is that now you have uh, more chance for i guess cascade failures so when one service fails and anything that needs to make a point-to-point -point communication to that service potentially can also be impacted as well so i guess that's where you know another benefit of having these sort of more asynchronous uh, communication uh, patterns absolutely yeah i i, I well i think it's a clear case for for us but uh, we we're kind of as a as a platform team we're kind of in the midst of everything so there is seldom really uh, we we really have the time we we need to to make the time to to be able to do this kind of work because it doesn't really it is a cross cutting definitely a cross cutting concern so it doesn't really belong in a particular value stream so that's a bit of a challenge when it comes to these kind of architectural changes in in the setup that we have uh, but uh, we we were we're working on a roadmap so uh, it's it's on that roadmap but and hopefully this year we will start working on it okay i guess uh, best of luck in that case and uh, hopefully uh, you guys uh, get all the changes that, that you want to get uh, get in there in terms of uh, app sync in terms of uh, event bridge um, and I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to talk to me today and uh, sharing your experience with the audience uh, we have here. 
Um, before we go though, uh, is there anything that you like to you know, anything else that you like to share with us? Maybe uh, is a poster uh, hiring in the Gothenburg? Sure, uh, they are continuously <laughs> growing, and and um, I think, and, and this is my personal experience. I there's no other place working with this technology that I would rather be right now. It's because I believe this is. This way of doing things is is definitely the it belongs. Uh, if if it if people don't think it's the future of of development, they they should be. I think, <laughs> and it, it's really fun to 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 work with these things. And uh, I learned a lot of things the the past year that I've been with the Polestar. and and that's for me very important and and really really fun. Uh, I have really fun working with this. So, yeah. And thanks for having me, John. It's been really, really interesting and fun. Cool. And uh, if uh, people want to ask you questions, uh, potentially about uh, what you guys are doing at Polestar and maybe uh, about opportunities as a Polestar, how can they get in touch with you on the internet? Oh, um, I can I can provide my uh, my contact info to you and uh, maybe add it to to uh, this uh, podcast so I can get them in touch with the right people if if they're interested in in what we're doing. Okay, sure. I will make sure those are in the show notes so anyone who's uh, looking to explore uh, opportunities for working with uh, serverless technologies and really interesting and uh, I guess the cutting edge uh, business area then the, uh, yeah now check out the poster um, so once again thank you so much Anders and uh, I hope to you know, catch up with you soon and uh, maybe even see you in person when I get to uh, visit the uh, Gothenburg thank you Jan okay take care the same bye bye So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.